combination of gearheads. John the instigator, Derek the conservative, Will the builder, Sean the racer, and maybe a guest invite you to listen while we sit down, have a drink, and discuss cars. Time now for the ride. We're doing something interesting tonight. I've got a guest. If you remember, we had a guest a couple of months ago, Phil Sohn, and came on, and I think we talked rotaries and LS swaps and rotary LS swaps and all kinds of stuff. And Phil and I are obviously friends on social media. And one day he said something and he goes, oh, I went did something really cool. And I said, ooh, that's something really cool. <laughs> I immediately said, Phil, you've got to make, make an introduction for me. And amazing Phil is just the nicest guy in the world. And our guest even said that uh, talking a little bit pre-show. And within probably 15 minutes, Phil had an introduction done and everything. And we have uh, Brent Lang from a company that's local to Birmingham, but markets, I'm assuming worldwide. Honestly, I don't know. I know all over the United States. Uh, Storyteller Overland. We're going to do this. You know, We're going to find out a little bit about Brent. We're going to find out a little bit or a lot about overlanding because, you know, even when we had Farah on and a few other people, they've, you know, they all got these Safari 911s and that, and that's kind of a, a cool in thing. So we're going to find out a little about the lo- overlanding hobby and then uh, hopefully a little bit about Storyteller and what they do when, you know, kind of the, I don't know, we'll find out when we get there. And then we'll probably talk about ice, ice skating rinks. I'm going to find out how much it's going to cost me to get the sprinter of my dreams to haul simulators all over the <laughs> country with, because, um, be cool. Mr. Lang is, Mr. Lang is building my dream vehicle when it comes to trackside support. Oh and, yeah. Uh, no, like yeah. That's, that's the cool thing. Like, uh, we actually, we've seen some people in the marketplace that actually have, uh, I mean, these sprinters are rated for about 5,000 pound tow capacity, uh, perfect for towing a Miata to a track day. Um, honestly, that's, that's kind of what my wife and my dream is, is like maybe getting one of these and taking it up to tail the dragon, camping out in the middle of nowhere, and then just going and, you know, yelling at people for crossing the double yellow line. <laughs> right. That, right. That's what you do when you go up there, stick with the man- mayonnaise, don't cut the mustard and all that good stuff. So I guess a little bit about me. My name is Brent Lang. I'm an industrial designer, graduated from Auburn university. I uh, don't want to date myself too much about 2009, 2010. And then uh, I went to a graduate school to study design management at Savannah College of Art and Design. After that, uh, I met my wife there at SCAD. Uh, I got a a call one day for an interview with a company that builds custom vehicles out uh, in Trussell, Alabama, called, at the time it was called Southern Comfort Automotive. Went and met them, had a a great interview. They had a great team there. Uh, So they, they invited me to come be a part of their division a place called McSweeney Designs. Really did some really, really cool stuff there under uh, Jeffrey Hunter. We did, it was kind of like their skunk works division. So we did some of the, the VIP armored stuff. Um, we also got to do the Nick Saban edition sprinter. Got to design a vehicle for coach. Uh, that was pretty cool. And now, uh, did, now, did you, wait, 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 wait. Did you tell Nick that you were an Auburn grad designing his vehicle or... Do we, do we no no didn't, didn't necessarily uh, didn't necessarily get that opportunity <laughs> um, but and coach was really appreciative of all the stuff all the you know all the hard work the team had put together 
you know, we, we got to, we got to be involved with that. That was just a, a real treat to, you know, we got to digitize his signature and stuff like that. He, he had, he had some pretty good involvement in terms of, of, of what was going on. When you were with Southern Comfort, I'm assuming you were doing sprinter conversions and that, because I go way back and I had a Sherrod Dodge conversion van back in 01. Whoa. And Whoa. <laughs> now I'm dating me. And I remember the Southern Comfort pickup trucks and the Southern Comfort conversion vans and that. Yeah, don't, I'm not even going to tell y'all that I sold elk conversion vans in the early 90s. Won't, won't even mention that. Won't even bring that up. Yeah, so this is this is where it's getting getting kind of interesting because like, uh, you know, the whole overlanding and, 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 and stuff like that actually does have a little bit of roots uh, in the conversion van industry. So yeah, um, Southern Comfort was, uh, they were doing conversion uh, vans at the time. They were also doing some some lift trucks and stuff like that. They're still doing that. They're now under uh, SCA Performance under Michael McSweeney, uh, doing great things there. Um, they're an awesome team. Yeah, we were doing so we were, were doing sprinter sprinter conversion vans. So um, we went through seat pull tests. Uh, so we had to you know get all that stuff above board. Um, and, and in conjunction working working with Mercedes Benz, um, we were essentially a, a kind of like a an approved upfitter, if you will, um, which means that they sent us vans directly from the factory, and then we did our conversion, and then they were sold through to dealers. You know that that eventually kind of led in with uh, with Coach uh, at the, the Dream the Dream Motors uh, group, and now NB of Birmingham. So we did that. Had a lot of fun doing that. That was really really cool. I mean that was a we did, we, you know, we did stuff with, with, you know, for coach, we did stuff. I was telling Mr. Uh, Mr. John about the vehicle that we did for the president of Senegal. Um, we had an armored uh, roof. It was an articulating armored roof so that he could get up on top of the vehicle, wave to, to all of his supporters and stuff like that. That was awesome. It was really, really cool. It was, uh, you know, I just essentially come straight out of grad school. And one of the first things I got to do was say, Hey, we get to cut off the roof of a, you know, almost $65,000, $70,000 vehicle. And then we get to put armor in it. So that was a lot of fun. Did, did a lot of cool stuff there. After that, I uh, did a little bit of a stint at Michelin, BF Goodrich, Tuscaloosa. So I am a BF Goodrich fan fanboy, if you will. I did that out in Tuscaloosa. I was an embedded contractor. Got to learn everything to know about a tire. Um, still keep up with a lot of those individuals out there at, at the Tuscaloosa plant. And then uh, got a call one day from Jeffrey Hunter, uh, he's CEO of uh, Storyteller Overland. He says, you know, Brent, we've, we've been talking about doing one of these adventure vans. Um, the time's now, let's, would you like to, would you like to join the team and start building some really cool vans? And I said, yep. We started off in, in 2018 and it has been a wild ride ever since. In a good way, I'm assuming. Hmm? In a good way. Oh no, in a great way. It's been a fantastic way. I mean, it's really, it's, it's very interesting. We've, we've actually built in the past, we'll say year and year and some some days, two hundred vehicles. You're looking at about uh, wow. yeah, two hundred. What? Yeah, two hundred vehicles in a year. Yeah, in a year, and that's around thirty million dollars in uh, gross revenue. Um, we've got a lot of great partners that have uh, that have come on board with us, uh, specifically Mercedes of Birmingham and, uh, and the Dream Motor Network, all that good stuff. Game on, man! That's congratulations. That's huge. That's you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, we have the best team in the industry. Um, the people that I get to work with are just awesome. Jeffrey has just really, really. He's just kind of set the path forward uh, in terms of leading the company. Uh, Lee Khan, who is actually the founder of Modus, um, he's my direct report. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys, with with dealing with Barbara, y'all probably know a good bit about Modus. 
Yep. No modus and no, no Lee a little bit. He's just an awesome guy. He's just, he is a, he is a get it done kind of guy. Um, Andrew Cooley, who's our head of uh, business development is just, he has helped establish our dealer network across the nation. How many dealers do you guys have? Currently it's around, I want to say 20, 23. Um, A lot of that is West of the Mississippi, but there should be some more coming online soon. Do you guys build more on uh, out of allocation, right? Instead of being like a bailment company or how, how do y'all? Ooh, good question. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like I used to work for a company that used to do what you do. I mean, not, not exactly, but kind of. Well, yeah, no, it's, um, we, we actually have a, we have a bailment, um, set up through with all that stuff, uh, actually directly with Mercedes Benz, so on and so forth. We have a, a, that's a, awesome. a vehicle. That's really cool. Yeah. That's, uh, and a lot of that, you know, is because we had so many relationships with Mercedes going forward and starting the company. So that's, that's pretty much how that's set up, but there will be some more you know, dealers coming on online. We're growing in a lot of ways. We're having a lot of fun. You know, Andrew Cooley has been really, really key in setting up those dealer relationships as our, as our head of the business development. We actually have a, the guy that I work directly with. He was the best man in my wedding. Um, he is our head of system integration and design. He's our mad scientist. His name's Adam Donaldson. I get to work with him in terms of uh, designing the vehicles. Uh, he is Dr. Destructo, if you will. You've heard probably about the guy at Ferrari that gets to break stuff. Well, they don't have an Adam. Uh, we do. <laughs> he is extremely good at what he does. Um, he can find, and he, he, he really does make us better as a company, test things to death and back. So I get to work in conjunction with him. It's just absolutely fantastic. Uh, Mark Isbell is our production manager. He actually, I met him at Southern Comfort uh, as well. He's actually been in the conversion van industry six months before I was born. Funny when I first met him, he was like, how old are you? And I was like, you know, like 28 or 29 at the time. And he was like, oh, when, when, when were you born? Like what, what? And I was like, well, December He's like, Oh, well, I started working at Southern Cup for six more, six months before you were born. So um, what year were you born? I was born in 86. Okay. Yeah. You, I, I was, I was selling conversion vans when you were. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Hey man, I'm getting there too. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll go ahead and let you know. He's, he's pulled me out of the ditch so many times. It's not even funny. Um, just in terms of like design problems and whatnot. He'll, he'll look at something and just, well, he'll, he'll school me real quick. And he's just like, why didn't you see this? I mean, he is a, he is a, just a wealth of knowledge in terms of that. So yeah, we've really, really got like the greatest team ever. We've got a gentleman by the name of Jason Ruha that's come on board. That's going to help us out with some videography and stuff. Um, Amy and Thor helping out with and, and, and doing our social media stuff. So we're, we're really growing. We're making, a, we're making a lot of waves. We're having a lot of fun though. So you guys get to start with a blank sheet. I mean, being a bailment company, you literally get to start with a, not necessarily a body and white sprinter, but you get to start with a, uh, an yeah. empty sprinter, basically. That's exactly what we did. That's, 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 that's awesome. how we started off. That's awesome. Um, we'd actually, it was very difficult. We couldn't get a body and white at the time to do the seat pull testing, uh, with our current configuration. Um, we were able to actually source a chassis for that to actually do destructive pull testing. Uh, the seat that we actually have in our vehicle was, um, pull tested to over 13,000 pounds and actually helped through that was probably one of our, our best achievements. Adam got to, to directly help me with that. And that was a, that was, that's a pretty scary thing, man. A lot of people in terms of car design, you know, they want to, they want to do like the really cool body lines and stuff like that. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you the people that design seats, um, haven't, haven't now kind of had some experience with that. That is very, very hard. Uh, you've got ergonomics, you've got manufacturability and cost. 
and comfort and safety and all of those things don't play very well together. They kind of go against each other almost head to head. So it's, uh, that's probably one of the hardest things that, that, uh, that I've had to deal with as, as a professional, if you will. But we got through it and we're, we're above board on all that. Go back really quick because you've used the term four or five times in the show and not everybody who listens to No Driving Gloves is on the, you know, very in depth into cars. Some of us, our listeners are very casual car fans. Can you explain a little bit about what the, the seat pull test is and kind of what's done there because you know i i learned a a little bit about it when i bought my conversion van 20 years ago so i have some familiarity and obviously sean does but just in case we have a listener or somebody out there who doesn't without getting too scientific there's a it's called fnvss which is federal uh, motor vehicle safety standards and i am blanking right now on those specific uh testing standards i think it's a 207 or something like that so these are test standards for car seats, right? Um, so what you do is you got to basically account for 150 pounds per person uh, of weight in the car seat. And then there is a very specific formula that has to be applied to this, this apparatus or the seat, if you will. Since ours is a double seat, uh, it got really, really heavy really, really quickly. And this seat is supposed to remain intact um, for a certain amount of force, which for what we went through was, was pretty insane. I mean, you, you got to realize the, the amount of force that's going into that seat, you could actually probably, no, you could lift the vehicle by the seat if you wanted to. It's got to hold through all those forces. So it is, it is typically a destructive test. So you can't, you, you do do it on a body and why. So that, that all being said, it is to assure that in the event of, of, of a catastrophic event that, that you are going to, and the seat is going to remain there. Um, honestly, the amount of force that is, that is being applied on that is pretty, pretty insane. Um, but you got to make it through the test. European standards are a little bit different. Say, And that's why when you go back to vanning, I, I'll be honest, Sean and I both like vans and I've had multiple vans over the years. But you go back to vanning in the 70s, you had all these pivot seats and swivel seats and move the tables and things around. And and when I bought my van, that was something I was looking for. And it was explained to me because of the reasons you just explained. You couldn't get a swivel seat in a modern, especially a swivel passenger seat in a modern conversion van. I had a Transit Connect cargo van for a while. And a lot of people said, why, when I sold that, didn't I just convert it to a people van? Uh, because I needed to have a back seat if I was going to keep it. And one of those things was I couldn't find anybody to tell me whether or not I retrofitted, you know, factory Ford seats in it and factory Ford seat belts if that van was actually built to the same standards as a Ford Transit Connect people, you know, right. which had the seats and everything from the factory. And I just wasn't going to put my rear seat passengers at risk. So those standards are very important. Yeah, no, they, they are. Um, and that's one of the things we have a lot of questions by people. It's like, hey, can I mount a seat in here? And it's, it, is, it is usually a pretty much uh, flat out. Um, it, look, this is your vehicle. You're more than happy to do anything. I would strongly uh, recommend that you not do this. And, and here's why. Um, I can't stress enough the, the amount of structure that, that goes into those seats is just insane. Um, and, and actually and install correctly, so on and so forth. So yeah, that's good on you for, for, for definitely researching that. Um, most vehicles. I would say it goes back to even when I'm doing restoration and a lot of people want to retrofit seat belts into say, you know, an MG or a triumph or whatever. 
and you go, eh, it didn't come with seat belts. Well, there's a kit. <laughs> if not all installed exactly properly with angles and that, you're going to hurt yourself more than what you had before. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, it's amazing what goes into, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Right. So, and, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, we, we, we seat pull test. That, that's one of the things that Jeffrey made sure that when we, we started storytellers that, you know, we're going to, you know, we look at a lot of things um, in the van and we, we do approach things in terms of design as to like, Hey, you know, at the end of the day, this is a vehicle, bad things can happen. We need to do everything that we can be absolutely sure that these people are going to be safe. Uh, that's, that is a, it is a personal responsibility. It's also a, a company uh, responsibility. We, we we care very 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 deeply about that because I mean, in all honesty, yeah, you can you can sling a seat in there, you can put some you know peanut washers under there and call it a day. Um, that's not the right right way to do things. So we 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 definitely make sure welding in substructure if you're if you're doing that and you're you're making it right basically. Yeah, uh, we have uh yeah in regards to that, we've got QC procedures that the bolts that hold down the seat are actually torqued correctly. We we use paint pens on everything. Um, and you know, this is just the seat. Uh, we haven't even talked about the, the battery system yet. Um, our battery system that's in the vehicle, it's a, it's a lithium, it's a lithium battery, battery system. It's not just a battery. It's got its own, uh, control, a control module that, that monitors, uh, the battery in terms of its voltages, all that stuff. You know, lithium is, is pretty, it's pretty specialized when it comes to monitoring. Um, it's not like your old lead acid stuff. So this is a very, very advanced battery system. The, the battery pack that we currently have is around 12,000 watt hours. So that's actually pretty substantial. Most of the industry is still what's what's called on amp hours, um, which is a little bit dated. Our system is, I want to say around 1,000 amp hours, which in order for you to do that, you would essentially need a trailer full of batteries. I wish I had this, the, the drawing with me. It's like you would literally have about, a four, about an eight-foot long trailer full of lead-acid batteries to accomplish one of the cool things about it, when we actually first started the company, Adam came in and uh, TIG welded off of the battery system. And what was even funnier is that we were, when we were first starting up, we were in this little tiny place in downtown Birmingham, actually over at Avondale. And uh, the power there was actually giving his, uh, his, his welding machine quite a bit of a fit because it didn't have, it had just enough to get the machine going, but it was, it was not, it was right on that edge, almost kind of like browning out, if you will. Yeah, it would pulse a little bit, and then the machine would go, oh, crap, you know, I'm not getting what I need, and it would shut down. We were like, well, we've got this, uh, <laughs> this really, really big battery right here. Uh, let's test it. And uh, straight up, he started welding aluminum frames uh, on, on the vehicle right there off the battery pack. And it was funny because, like, now we didn't have any issues with, you know, brownouts or any of that stuff. So it was really, really cool. Is the pack proprietary, or, or did, you, did you source that? Uh, we actually sourced that through a company called okay. Volta. Um, okay. I know that, that a lot of people talk about, you know, uh, lithium batteries and stuff, and you, you can't really say lithium out without saying Tesla now, but like in terms of everything right now, Volta, they're one of our, our technology partners, Jack Johnson and Buck at Volta. They're awesome, awesome individuals, awesome company. They are doing uh, essentially energy storage systems for all sorts of things. Um, and they've really done a great job with it in the RV space. Um, they're also doing it for uh, trucks, like the trucking industry, like high idle and stuff like that. Well, not high idle, but replacement of high idle so that when you're parked overnight, you know, you're not sitting there running the running the engine, you're, you're running it off a battery pack. And then yeah. when you're going, when you're doing your long haul, you know, your, your alternator is actually charging that battery pack for when you go to bed at night. 
some really cool stuff like that, uh, doing it in emergency vehicles, all sorts of stuff. Now I'm picturing full 52 foot trailers with solar roofs to charge those battery packs to, uh, yeah, I, I can picture so many different ways to go with that. It's, it's cool stuff. And yeah. John and I have had this conversation on more than one occasion. I still think that eventually we're going to get to a point where we see an RV, a bus, a, an 18 wheeler, you know, a semi running off of the same diesel electric combo that you see in locomotives. Man, I think we're going to, that's all I swear I want to I really want to see it happen. Let's make that happen. Yeah. All right. Let's tell the world right here on no driving gloves. <laughs> the three of us are going to do that. We're going to make it happen. Yeah, no, like, and that's, a, that's the thing, man, like diesel, diesel electric. Uh, and that's one of the things that I've actually noticed you, you pulled up your, uh, on your green screen, the, the beast mode. Um, we've got an auto start where it actually helps charge the battery with that. So when you're camping at night and if you, you know, if you run through too much of the battery, it'll, it'll actually charge your battery for you. We are doing that. Like with, in terms of diesel electric stuff, like Adam and I have had multiple conversations where it's like, why isn't anyone doing this? It's a no brainer, man. Yeah, it really is. It is an absolute no brainer. John and I have had that discussion. How many times have we talked about that? I don't know whether we've talked about it on the show before, but we've been talking about it for decade plus. I know Derek and I've talked about it in that. And, and there's the perfect thing is all we got to do is get a job over at Storyteller and get them to start building our diesel electric RV. <laughs> It revolutionizes so many different things. It's so, there's so many reasons to push that tech, especially now. Like it just makes so much sense. And I'm going to back off of that because that's not what we, yeah, that's not what we just brought you on for. I'm going to bring it back a little bit. Okay. I've got my Storyteller Overland RV, whether it's the Beast or the Stealth or, you know, whatever the model why do I need a battery pack so big? Am I, is this thing going to, you know, power a 72 inch plasma or 72 inch led screen outside the vehicle and for the disco lights and the partying all night? Is that the main purpose is so that your clientele, which are, you know, let's say have a couple of dollars to their name. Right. So they can have all the enjoyments of home while they're in the middle of, the, I guess the desert or yeah, so, the outback or so the, the idea the idea behind the the battery pack and and, and that energy storage system of Volta the, the whole idea about behind that well first of all let, let me let me back up just a second this is a four season camper okay so this this vehicle has been specifically designed so that if you want to go out to Death Valley you have air conditioning and you can keep somewhat I won't say like I. It's cold, but you'll be able to, to be comfortable in the vehicle. Um, the same vehicle is also made to go up to Colorado or any high elevations and, you know, get out in the snow. A lot of people like to use these to go out um, skiing. Like, I mean, in all honesty, like if you want to talk about a ski trip, I mean, you know, you go to the lodge, you're going to spend a, a ridiculous amount of money. Or you can just get one of these vans, go boondock out in the middle of nowhere or go, you know, if you're out west, go to the Bureau of Land Management and camp out at night. It's got a, a diesel-fired system. It actually runs for your hot water and for your heat of the vehicle. Uh, it's actually a diesel-powered turbine, which is pretty cool. A company called Everstocker, which if you'll, it, old Volkswagens, they actually used to use them long, long, long time ago. But they, they're still around, and we use that diesel-fired system. But this is a four-season thing. So us being in the South, right, uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, if, we're, if you're going to start an RV company in the South and you're not going to have an air conditioner, you're probably not going to do very well. You know, and so one thing to actually have an air conditioner, okay, you put on an air conditioner, but I don't have a system to support it off the grid. 
that's one of the biggest things about this battery pack. Air conditioners take an insane amount of energy to change the temperature of the room, right? Tons of energy to do that. And typically, most RVs right now uh, in the space, in order for you to use that, uh, that air conditioner, you actually have to plug into shore power. So you've got to be at an RV park or you have to buy uh, something like a probably a Honda 2200i uh, generator in order to, and you have to have a special uh, AC that's got a soft start on that. You, you have to have that little generator run constantly in order to power that. So with this, uh, with this battery system, you know, if you're, you know, if you drive for two hours, so on and so forth and set up overnight, in most instances, you're going to get anywhere between six, six hours to 10 hours of runtime based off of your, your temperature. You know, if you're out in Colorado and it's really, really low humidity, you're probably going to get full 10 hours of use out of the air conditioner. If you're down here in the South and it's, you know, hundred percent humidity and 95 degrees at 11 o'clock at night, you know, it's, it's probably going to suck a little bit more juice. And there's some stuff that you can actually do to keep the ambient temperature of the vehicle down to, to extend your range during the night. That's the reason for having that big a battery. Most of the light, all the lighting is LED. Um, we include an induction cooktop, which is really, really cool. Um, so there's not like an open flame or anything in the, in the vehicle. You know, it's also, it's also more than enough energy for you to charge your laptops and stuff like that. We're finding a lot of people actually don't really put TVs uh, pretty much in vehicles anymore. We're seeing a lot of that, which is kind of crazy because when, when I was involved with McSweeney Designs, you know, we were putting 40-inch uh, curved TV screens in vehicles, and this is completely different from that. This is about getting away from all of that. And that's not to say that some people won't do that. It's just they typically have a laptop, and that's what they use for entertainment. So these people are more focused on doing, like, uh, Wi-Fi boosters, like, uh, you know, the WeBoost signal stuff, um, where they can get internet connection out in the middle of nowhere. Um, that's what they're most, mostly interested in. Yeah. And they do a lot of remote work on, on their laptops. We have people that, uh, you know, this, this vehicle is actually designed to be a, the, the idea is uh, uh, it's a part-time kind of thing. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a weekend warrior kind of deal. Um, but we're actually finding a lot of people are actually living out of these, um, which is really, really cool. You know, they're, they're doing, they're using these as mobile offices. And it makes perfect sense because like with our seat, we've got, you know, our, our proprietary seat. And we've actually got a, a, a table there that you can actually use as a work surface. You can put your laptop up. We've got we've got two individuals that are out west, and they do programming for for larger companies, and they just live out of the vehicle. We've got two people that are they're actually a I don't they're not rocket scientists, but they're uh, essentially involved with NASA at a pretty pretty high level, and they just work remotely with their I believe one year old daughter. Um, they just travel the country, so a lot of people are, are using these to get out on the hustle bustle of life and go out and have fun. In addition to working. I say when I get a successful podcast here and a couple more people buy us a coffee on the website, you know, that would be, that's kind of one of my goals is to get something like that and, you know, travel the U.S. and I should be able to podcast from anywhere. I'm going to take this opportunity because, and we'll steer a little bit away from Storyland Overland, but let's discuss a little bit about the, this overlanding hobby and this our van van life movement i guess is another way to say it um you know yours are very extreme you're using sprinter vans i believe with the four by four chassis and and i don't know if you're using the three quarter ton or the one ton to start with but doing lift kits and that and you know for years i've seen four by four like 40 counter line conversions and that and those things always bring seems like double retail price because people want to be able to four wheel in their vans. Mm -hmm. 
Can you give us a little bit of maybe a vague profile of the people? I'm not going to say your customer. Actually, I was going to, but not necessarily your customer. The people that are falling into this lifestyle and is it to get away? Is it to simplify? Or is this the 20 years ago, 15 years ago, the idea was to go, you know, retire or sell off, you know, sell your portfolio and move to Napa and start a vineyard. Now is it to sell your portfolio and go, you know, RVing across the country again? So a long wheelbase high top with a deck on the roof on one of these things is a tiny house. It is. So yeah, it basically, you, you bring up a great point. So overlanding is this really, really crazy genre right now. And it is the coolest thing ever. And what's so cool about it, it's, it's, a, it's a melting pot of all this stuff and all of these people with different ideas. And that's, that's what's really cool about it. So in, in saying that, overlanding is kind of this embodiment of the idea of an expedition or an adventure, right? Uh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to explore. It's, it's, this, it's this embodiment of wanderlust, right? Um, and what's so cool about it is, is that it, it has all these little sets within it. So like you, you got, you mentioned van life. That's, that's, that is somewhat of a part of what overlanding is. It's also, it's cool. And it's cool in a sense because you can do this overlanding thing in a million dollar, uh, earth roamer. You can do that. You can do it out of a Dodge caravan. If, if that's what you want to do. Um, and all honesty, you can do this on a motorcycle. You could do this on a Yamaha, Yamaha WR250 and, you know, have everything on your back. Um, you can do it with a, a Jeep Wrangler and, uh, you know, a little teardrop trailer on the trailer on the back um, or one of the, uh, the uh, you know, like uh, uh, overlanding tent, tent campers um, or trailers that they're doing now. Um, so that's really the cool thing about overlanding is it kind of embodies all that stuff. It's, it's about nature. It's about getting out there and enjoying it. You know, we have kind of like this mantra within Storyteller, which is uh, live free, explore endlessly and tell better stories, right? So that's about going out and enjoying the great outdoors, you know, being with your friends, kind of creating those memories, so on and so forth, but also enjoying nature, kind of getting back to, you know, wanderlust and just, just, just seeing it all and experiencing it together. And like all these overlanding events, like Overland Expo, I recommend that you guys go to it or anyone that's listening, please, please go to that. That's it's so cool to see the the amount of, and, and types of people that are involved with this. You know, it's very it, it's awesome to me right now because you can get two very very different like I guess thought processes here. You can have a person that is very very um, focused on the ecosystem and nature and, and preservation of nature and protecting all that stuff and, and uh, caring for the country and the land and all these wonderful, beautiful things that are of nature. And then you can have, you know, someone that's uh, maybe a doomsday prepper or anything of that nature. And you can get them into the same group under overlanding and they all like agree with each other. It's, it's about this enjoyment, this lifestyle of being out there and exploring stuff. And that's one of the coolest things about it. Cause I mean, everyone just kind of comes together and it's, I don't want to say it's all like, you know, hippie S kumbaya stuff, but it's just a very, very interesting thought process that a lot of people share across multiple platforms and multiple backgrounds. We just, I just looked it up when you said Overland Expo and we just missed the virtual version of it. Um, it was on October 17th, actually. Yeah, we were supposed and to go I, this year. I'm definitely going to, there's a lot of shows that all of us were supposed to go to yeah. this year <laughs> that we have not been able to go to. One thing that I wanted to ask you, I, I have done a little bit, and this was, 
I sort of got roped into it when I was over in the UK, but I've done a little green laning in the UK and it's kind of the same concept. Okay. Um, basically it's, it's trying to go as far as you can from point to point without using any public roads, you know, actual paved public roads. And because of the, the little green laning thing that I did, I was part of a group over here where we pitched the idea of a reality show that was going to be a coast-to-coast journey across the U.S. using as little highway system, as little public road system as possible. And we mapped that out. And it's amazing to me how much, how far you can travel in this country without hitting a rural route or a interstate highway or an actual, you know, proper highway. I mean, you can go off-road forever and a day in this country it's it's pretty pretty epic actually right yeah so getting getting out to those and you know it's one thing to like go to like kind of the more touristy things but it's it's also one of those things where it's like okay you've got some access roads out in the middle of nowhere um you can go down and adventure down and you know maybe you spend a night camping there or you know i will say one of the the things that i wish was more accessible here on the east coast was bureau of land management um out west bureau of land management is awesome blm lands are where it's at we had the opportunity to go to Pikes Peak last year. We took one of the vans, my wife and I. She does she does some like automotive photography. That's what she loves to do. Went to the race, camped out at the race, and then went to uh, a place called the Divide or Divide, Colorado. They have some Bureau of Land Management there. Literally pulled up at ten o'clock at night, parked the van, slept, and woke up to this beautiful, just almost heaven-like area. It was just awesome. But yeah, just out in the middle of nowhere, not being bothered by anyone. Um, just seeing parts of the country that, you know, you, you're not going to really see on, you know, I-65 or whatever, what interstate. So, yeah, it's been kind of interesting with that. But, yeah, it's going back kind of more to that, uh, you know, expedition kind of stuff. You know, like what, what I guess they would assume like they were doing down in Australia or in Africa at certain points in time in history. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing how, like I said, just how much unpopulated area that we have in the United States in North America in general, actually North and South America in general. Yep. I mean, you, you could spend days if not weeks and possibly months without seeing a road. I would think it's all that flyover land that we have when, when we hop on a plane here in Birmingham, Alabama <laughs> and fly to the West coast. I mean, you, you're flying for hours and you're like, there's nothing down there. Yeah. There's literally nothing down there. Yeah. And then you, um, you fly at night and you see just absolute nothing darkness. Nothing. Yep. Nothing. You're like, is there clouds? No, there's not clouds. There's nothing. <laughs> yeah. That's usually when I have the worst time flying at night because like I can't see where the relationship of the airplane is in, in terms of ground. I'm one of those. I'm <laughs> right. Just, yeah, I got to see. One, if I can see where the ground is, man, I'm good. But at night, because <laughs> it's like, and you're flying over the Midwest, and it's like, oh boy, here we go. It's like you, you get those shots from space or space station of the planet at night and you can see all how lit up the east coast is and the west coast is and chicago and atlanta and little areas like that everywhere that's black is kind of a territory for your product if there if there are no lights and no civilization i would imagine that's where you want to take your your storyteller that's i mean that's that's you want to be able to go out there and basically say, no, it really is. It's it's we're still on the planet earth. And this is, this is what it is. Check this out. I mean, it's being able to get those vehicles out into just places where, you know, maybe people have been there, but they haven't been there for a while. Right. That's gotta be a really cool feeling. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it is. And like, it's also, a, I don't know. It, it's very, very different, especially when you do it for an extended period of time. 
I get a lot of energy from doing that. Just kind of decoupling from the world, not worrying about my cell phone or where the next you know text message is going to come from or any of that stuff. So it, it is just really awesome to do that. It clears your headspace. You know, sleeping out in the middle of nowhere, I mean, dude. That's one of the craziest things. Like when we were when we were out actually in Colorado, like it was so quiet. It was it was almost deafening. It was very weird. It was it's kind of surreal. It was just so it was it was like eerie quiet. Because there was just nothing around. It's awesome. I get to places like that, and I become acutely aware about how bad my tinnitus really is. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> like it's, I don't notice it when when you're around like everything in your house, all your appliances are running, stuff like that. It's I don't notice it, but as soon as it goes quiet, it's like really? Are you kidding me? Uh, but yeah, you just you get acutely aware of stuff like that, and I being able to take one of your vans out and get away from the light pollution, that would be life altering for so many people in and of itself. Yeah. Just being able to actually look up and go, whoa. <laughs> I mean, it's because most people, they live their entire lives never being able to see that. Yeah. No, you're, yeah, you're, you're spot on that. That's cool stuff, man. I, 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 I knew you were here. I just didn't know the scope. And now I really want to come down and, and check it out. Well, yeah, man. I, I really come hang out it. with us. We'd love to show you around. Yeah, we'd love to have you. It's neat stuff. So, uh, go ahead, John. Sorry. 18 months, you've moved 200 vans, and you've got basically three different models that I'm assuming can be optioned or designed any way you want. What's Are you just going to build off of those three models? And like well, I said earlier, are you doing just the midsize wheelbase, or do you do all three or four so bases of the vans? Or Here's the thing that we... Tell us a little bit about the product line. <laughs> so here's here's the thing. Uh, currently, currently we build on a Mercedes uh, 144 high roof chassis. It is uh, is a 2500 uh, single rear wheel with the four wheel drive. That's that is what we build on currently. So we have uh, our our mode or the classic mode, um, and then we have the stealth mode, which is uh, now been changed over to a blue gray. It is not Amazon blue. Okay, it is an actual different color than the amazon vans a lot of people oh it's the same color as that no it's not we promise you're not paying a licensing fee to amazon right? no we're not <laughs> it, it it's in the neighborhood but it is it is not the exact same color but that is now replaced our selenite gray is our is our stealth mode color that's got some special options here and there um blacked out trims appearance package if you will um it's actually got our custom design step the up dog step that that you can put on there and then you've got the beast mode, which is the, all the fixings. Uh, it's, it's, it's the one that we're, that you, you want to get into. It's got the, uh, the, the rip kit, the ride improvement kit. Um, so it is, you know, it's a custom suspension that is rated for the, uh, it's actually designed specifically for our weight rating and all that good stuff. It's got our Tenzing front bumper that's proprietary to us. Uh, that was a project that I got to work on. Really, really enjoyed that. Our lighting kit, we actually have this really cool thing up in the top. It's called, a, it's our light control module. It, it's uh, It's got kind of some of the mini switch protectors, kind of like in the Mini Coopers. Um, and you can throw all those light switches on. That's really, really cool. We've got some interior organizers that are in addition to the vehicle. Um, that helps you kit it out better. Um, so you can put your little you know things that are related specifically to your hobby uh, all around the vehicle. Um, we've got a spare tire carrier on the back from uh, Alvans. They're a great company based out of uh, uh, the West Coast. Uh, John Alvans are awesome individuals. They've got, the, and we also have a Sherpa 
their Sherpa on the back. And that's a, an organizer that allows you to put things like max tracks or roto packs or a shovel and an axe, you know, just some off-road gear recovery stuff that you can take with you that's on the back door as well. So that's the, the beast mode. And it's also got the, the auto start that we talked about. Um, that's, that is the, the premier trim level. Um, that's again, you, you, it, you really shouldn't need much more than that, but if you do need more than that, I'd really love to see it because <laughs> you can't, you can't really get a whole lot higher than that. But, but I'm looking in the interior right now and it's, it's, it's really cool, man. Like the, the bed in the back of the, uh, the definitely not Amazon blue model, mm-hmm. uh, does that is that bed permanent in that location or does it stow somehow and give you extra room in there? Or? It's kind of like a drawbridge bed. And the way that we did that drawbridge slash Murphy style. Um, so on the driver's side, you can actually fold that down and there are two little legs that swing down okay. and lock with the, the, the floor. It's rated around eight yeah. pounds. Um, a lot of people actually use that as a workstation, like as a standing desk. Or you put that, you know, you put your mattress down and then you fold the other side down. And then that's, that's your bed that goes across the back. And below that is your garage storage area. So that's where, you know, if you want to put your uh, mountain bikes, your road bikes and stuff, you can put that back there. I'm, I'm already looking at this going, man, this is the ultimate. I don't need hotels anymore. Mm-hmm. I can go wherever I want to go. It opens up a whole new world of people that may be interested in what we're doing as far as the simulation side of things. I'm I'm kind of, I really want to come see you guys and I'm kind of scared to come see you at the same time. No, no, you're you're good, man. You're good. <laughs> you, you you guys you guys will be in good company. Get my get my wallet ready if I come see you. Basically, yeah. Now and and we do we do have a the one thing about our company that I do actually like is when I first actually came on board with the company, I sat down with Andrew Cooley and I you know I asked Andrew I was like, so how does RV pricing work? And he talked to me for about an hour. I fell into a daze, didn't really hear what he said. Well, I did hear what he said. I didn't understood. I didn't really understand what he said. So the way that the storyteller operates, we have a thing called see-through pricing. That is the established price of these vehicles. That's what it is. If you go to any other dealer in the whole entire United States and you're told something different, you need to call Andrew Cooley because we need to get on the phone and start talking to people. And the reason being is that we as a company, we don't like people being jerked around or price gouged or anything like that. What that's, that's our see-through price. And that will be that every dealership or should be at every dealership. A uh, standard mode, I think right now is 149, 880 or something like that. But you know, there are some other interesting things that you can, you can do that. Some people, you know, run their business out of these. So that's, that's, that's an avenue. Um, we are RVIA certified so that we actually, you can actually finance this as an RV, which means you can also correctly insure it as an RV. That means you can also get uh, better financing terms. So you can get a, a, essentially a 30-year loan on this if, if that's something that, that is entertaining to you. You know, there's there also it comes with a warranty. But, you know, we're also seeing a lot of people that are buying these and they're kind of doing the Airbnb stuff with it. You know, maybe I don't need this vehicle all the time, but I actually rent it out. But what's actually curious to me is when my wife and I went out to uh, uh, for Pikes Peak Hill Climb last year, I went ahead and reserved uh, an RV that wasn't a storyteller just in case that we had a backup. Cause like, by God, we were going to stay on that mountain and we were going to take some pictures. It was going to happen. I'm so glad it did because, you know, COVID hit this year. That would all went crazy. And I'm really appreciative of her, you know, saying, Brent, we need to do this. And, and we went and did it. But so I, I looked at that, right. To rent an RV for like three days out there, uh, the total was around $1,300, um, which is, that's, that's pretty insane, man. Like that's, that's really, 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 really nice hotel money. 
Yeah. Um, oh yeah. You know, a lot of people are doing that with these with these sprinters now. They're they're renting them out. That's a you know, if, if that's something that's that's interesting to, to people, it's it's definitely a way to kind of kind of help out that pricing just a little bit. Where do um, you rent that? Do you put that on? Um, it's, there's it's a, like a it's like a Turo B and B thing. It's like a combo. It's right. Well, there's, it's, there's, yeah, it's the the one that I've heard about the most. I think is outdoorsy. That's the one that we we kind of we actually reserve through. Okay. Um, and they actually allowed, uh, you know, went ahead and paid a little bit extra money so we could cancel it because the, the vehicle did actually kind of come back to us and we were able to take it. But yeah, a lot of people are running these out. Um, that's that's really, really cool. A, a lot of companies are going to start developing around this ecosystem of renting stuff out. So that's that's really awesome. Now I'm looking up outdoorsy. You keep coming up with all these companies that I've literally never heard of before. And I, I mean, it's it's cool because, I mean, it's it's interesting. I love hearing about aspects of, of vehicular life, basically, that, you know, I, I kind of hover around the fringe every once in a while in areas like this, but I never really dig in. So well, I you, really appreciate you coming on the show because you, you've opened up a lot of light on, we've shed a lot of light on. The other cool thing about renting this out, though, is that, you know, in terms of a person that may be an owner looking to help you know, spread that, that, that financial load is that it also gives people that are potentially interested in this a taste of, of this of this and see if it is actually for them. Them. Um, what is actually really curious that we're finding out as we continue to grow as a company that a lot of these people that are buying these are first-time RV buyers, uh, which that's kind of crazy. Um, you would anticipate someone that, that were, people that were getting into these things are you know uh, lifelong RV people, and that's that's not the case. So a lot of people are, are really really motivated and interested to get into this stuff. Yeah, they're they're really really hard to come by in terms of rentals. Very very desirable, and they move quickly. I'm actually looking at the outdoorsy site right now. This this is crazy. I, I didn't even know this existed. You're in that. It's a very popular out opening right now. I think people of my generation, you know, we don't want six hundred thousand dollar Prevosts to travel in. You know, those are boats literally on the road. And you know, if you're starting at a buck and a half on your base model, that's RV money. I mean, I'm trying to remember my ex-wife and I, we went, looked at RVs in 05, 06 in Northern Virginia and just something simple. I, I can even tell you it was a bounder. It was like a 32 foot, no slide outs or anything. And you were still looking close to 80 grand for something like that. Uh, you, you offer, and that bounder isn't going to go, you know, half the places that, you know, the beast is going to go. I mean, that bounder is going to stick as far off as it's going to get as a highway instead of an interstate. <laughs> right. And so that's also kind of an interesting thing in terms of RVing. There's a huge shift going on right now. Um, and we're probably going to hopefully continue to see this a little bit. Um, so in regards to RV, you know, a lot of people look at the class A diesel pushers and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, um, they're awesome. They are very, very cool. They are plush. They are neat. Yes, they are. I mean, like, <laughs> yes, they are. Why would you not want to? Do that? You know, Tiffin Motorhomes actually is actually based here in Alabama as well, and they are probably one of the, the leaders, if not the leader, in the industry in terms of, of, of quality. We really, really look up to them. They're they're great people. Um, they make a really, really great product, but they also importantly take care of their customers. You know, these these. These huge diesel pushers are awesome. They're wonderful. You know, you can go across the United States. The biggest thing that's becoming kind of sort of an issue now is that, uh, you know, they take up a lot of space. Um, that's one thing. You can't really park them everywhere. So what this Class B space offers you specifically on the Sprinter is a little bit of covert stealth camping, if you will. 
Um, I'll go ahead and tell you right now that one of the coolest things that, that my wife Mars and I get to do is we'll, we'll go up to Chattanooga every once in a while. We've got some friends that live up there uh, on the North shore and uh, we'll boondock overnight. We'll park out um, in front of their house and we'll just spend the night. And it's awesome because, you know, you can wake up and we've got, uh, you know, privacy blackout curtains that go all the way around. Though really the only thing you'll hear is just the, the AC running if it's the summer or you might just hear the fan going. Um, but, you know, the van is locked. You know, it's got its own security system. And we just park for the night and wake up the next day and then go ride bikes around Chattanooga go hang out with our friends. And it's just, uh, it's really awesome to be able to do that. You can't, you can't really do that in some of the larger motorhomes because it's like, Oh, Hey, someone's camping here. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, sir, you need to move your vehicle. Whereas with a class B RV specifically on the Sprinter chassis, um, a lot of people actually buy our vans and they will take off our uh, stripes. I do want to share a little bit of insider information on that. Uh, the colors of our stripes are actually Porsche colors. So we, we borrowed, that's a guard's red, a blood orange, and I think a gelt, uh, yellow. I'm an old Volkswagen guy. I have a 1972 Carmen Ghia that's blood orange. So, but anyway, people will remove those stripes. And when you look at the van, it, it just looks like a run-of-the-mill van. Um, a lot of people will park these in their place, uh, like where their houses are. They have a homeowners association. Um, so they'll remove the stripes off of it. And, you know, the homeowners association is none, none the wiser. Because a lot of places like that, it's like, oh, you can't have an RV parked here. Um, and plus, it's, it's all daily, it's my it's my daily drive. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. Like you know, you could you can take this. I mean, can you can you imagine taking you know your your kids to school in a Class A diesel pusher? Like yes, yeah, probably probably not going to work out too well. Or um, you know, you've got room for buses there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just pull the bus line and you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> or you can do a schoolie. There you go. Um, you can do a schoolie and drop your kids off at, at, in schoolie. So yeah, that's, that's kind of an interesting thing. We're also seeing, um, what's also really interesting is that, and this is currently now, granted, we haven't been around, you know, uh, forever in a day, like some, some companies have, um, we're seeing that the, uh, the resale values of these vehicles is actually pretty crazy right now. And crazy, crazy is a good thing. We actually, um, we had one of our first units that has gone up for sale. And once you actually get, you know, once it's a used vehicle, then it's, it's free market in terms of, you know, whatever people want to pay to actually pay, uh, actually sold the vehicle for more than they bought it for. It was insane. The demand right now for, for RVs and stuff to get outdoors right now is just insane. It's going crazy. So it's been really, really interesting to see that. And honestly, I, I go ahead and tell you right now, like, um, I'm not the biggest betting person in the world. But in terms of what's what's going on with, you know, the, the pandemic and stuff right now, like an RV company doing well in a pandemic, I would have lost a lot of money because it's just insane how, how it's really turned out. What it comes around to, though, is it's one of the few things that you can get out and you're actually get out, enjoy yourself with family or friends. Mm-hmm. And you're still social. You're you're inherently socially distant. There's well, there 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 could be like I mean, if you went down to Lake Havasu during spring break, then you're in the, right in the middle of it. But right. if you took one of these things and you just literally set out into the wilds of Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, Colorado, where you know wherever you're at out west, especially you're just, you're off the grid, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're off the grid and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I think one of the biggest limiting factors right now, currently on our vehicles, and, and we've, we've, we've kind of seen this is really, you're mostly limited by your water. Um, this, this, our vehicle has 21 gallons of fresh water. 
if you take more more water with you, you can actually extend your range quite a good bit. But you know, when we do have solar on the vehicle, we have 90, 90 watts of solar, which is not a whole lot. You know, if you if you've got auto start with the beast mode, then that that should be able to take care of that. Or all in all honesty, just you know, if you just drive about an hour or so, that'll kick up your battery enough to to keep you charged. So then it really just kind of comes down to you know how much diesel you have in the tank. So you know you can you can within reason you know be a week off grid in these things. And some people are even pushing even further. Uh, one of the big things with our roof rack is if people want to actually add more solar, you can add up to 600 watts on there. Um, which once you do that, you know, it should should be pretty good. Now you're not going to be able to run the air conditioner off that, but it would be a considerable range extender if you pretty pretty off grid capable. I haven't I haven't been a week off grid yet. I'd like to I'd like to eventually do that. As far as you know, being able to go off road and and stay off road for for that amount of time, that's one thing. But one thing that I'm curious about, and I, I know John is probably thinking about this too, like trail wise, especially you know, I mean, you, we're talking you know rocks turn into boulders pretty quickly in a lot of areas. And if you're in the Eastern US, you're dealing with mountainous terrain that is logs all over the place and stuff like that. Like how, how capable are these vehicles when it comes to getting the, I'm I'm not, I'm not ever saying that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a proper hill climb machine or it's a, (laughs) it's a king of the hammers machine. It's, it's definitely not that, but it's, you know, how capable are they off-road? I'm just curious. Um, so I would say that they're decently capable. Um, me personally, I have not I have not put these vehicles in any sort of super duper rigorous or treacherous situations. I have to be a little bit careful about this because we, we that is one thing that we uh, do want to kind of be a little bit uh, you know, pay special attention to is that yes, these are are off-road capable vehicles, but they are right. not. They're not. You know, they're dude. They're not your your Jeep Cherokee with you know, uh, yeah. lockers and all that other stuff. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a rock crawler. Right. I mean, I, I totally understand that, but it's also, it's it's a little more than, well, maybe maybe not. Maybe it's akin to a dual sport motorcycle kind of thing. Is that is that more what it's kind of? Yes, yes and no. To a, maybe, yes and no to a certain degree, because you have to remember, like, um, it also depends on, on people's, uh, uh, you know, your, your actual ability to go off-road and your experience with it. I mean, they, they are pretty decently capable vehicles. Um Am I going to say there that it's going to get you to the top of the mountain of this Rocky Mountain? No, it's not. But what right. it can do is it can get you down some pretty pretty interesting access roads that, that you can actually get to where, where you would want to camp and so on and so forth. You have to remember, at the end of the day, this vehicle is, once you've loaded it, the GVWR on this vehicle is 9050, 90,050 pounds. Sorry, 9,050 pounds, not 90,000. So you got to remember, like, that's, that's a little bit different than, let's say, your Jeep Cherokee or a Land Rover. Yeah. Uh, they're pretty heavy, but they're not that heavy because that's like that's like you know maybe a Land Rover and a half all in one space, right? Yeah, I mean um, with the right tires on that, I could I could air the tires down and yeah. roll out to the point on Hatteras Island and camp out and fish overnight and, and have a really nice place to sleep and oh, I mean that that would it'd be epic for that, be absolutely epic for that. That's and honestly, I I apologize, I forgot that that's one of the key features on our beast mode. It actually has onboard air. We've got ARB dual air compressor. On the front, we have a front chuck and a rear chuck, so you can actually air up or air down, depending on what you want to do, which our beast mode actually just got back from um, a stint with uh, Julian Rebecca. Um, she's really, really awesome individual. Um, she's partnered with Casey. I think she's doing some Toyota uh, Tacoma stuff. 
really, really active in the space, going out, doing the overland thing. She's just an awesome person, wealth of knowledge. She actually put the beast mode through its, its rigors. She actually had it in some, some event or some situations that were pretty, pretty tough on it. Um, it seemed to do okay. Um, but again, at the end of the day, you know, this is a, this is a hundred, hundred two thousand dollar RV. So it's just one of those things yeah, yeah. you've got to use good, good judgment, good discretion. You know, a lot of people want to put winches on these things and that's a little bit heebie-jeebie-ish because, you know, when you have a winch that's lifting nine, 9,000 pounds and sometimes even more than 9,000 pounds, depending upon how stuck it is, you know, that, dude, that can get hairy real quick. Yeah. And so we won't, we won't. Well, when you're stuck and it's. 9,000 pounds, it's a lot more than 9,000 pounds. Yeah. People forget, you know, for, forget that. You know, that that mud adds 10,000 pounds. Right. Well, and you know, you got to remember, man, when, when something, when something that's weighing 9,000 pounds breaks, something bad's probably going to happen. And that's one of the things that, that's not to say that, you know, never ever take it off road or anything like that. It's just, um, you know, it's, you got to be very, very cautious uh, about how you treat it. Otherwise, man, it does fine. Um, I will say that with the, the Mercedes, um, definitely go ahead and, and engage the four-wheel drive before you get into a tricky situation. It's not like everything else where, you know, you've got your, your selectors and all that stuff where you can control your transfer case on like that's immediate and it engages all that stuff. Um, Mercedes is actually controlled uh, pretty well through the computer system, through the buttons. So you, you need to, you need to have a little bit of planning and forethought before you get in a tricky situation. So if you're, if you're in a situation where it's like, you know, I'm really going to need four wheel drive, go ahead and hit that button, follow the procedures via the manual and it, it should take care of you. So yeah, it's just one of those things you got to, you got to prepare, got to be, got to be cautious. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I just, I had to ask, cause I mean, it, it it looks inc- it looks incredibly beefy, and I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are like, "Oh man, you put some put a little uh, was it the splash guard under the under the you know front end of it, and you do this and you do that." And they're like, "Yeah, I don't know about that." I just I was just curious. Yeah, I'm just curious. Um, actually, um, Julian Rebecca, she just she actually just did a little bit of an expedition with some sprinters. Actually, you know, anyone that's that's really interested, you know, maybe you guys are interested, uh, actually show some of the action shots of what kind of it went through. You know, she's done a great job of, of kind of putting that all together and showing, you know, putting it through its paces. And I'm not going to sit here and say that it did absolutely 1,000% awesome, but it, it did make it through some pretty, pretty interesting scenarios. Well, we're encroaching on uh, that hour mark. So got to, got to start winding it down is, you know, that's what we only ask out of you is the hour. But I was curious, and obviously 2020 has thrown everybody into a tizzy. And you've only been around since 2018. I'm guessing, tell me if I'm wrong. We spoke of a different company earlier and we spoke of a gentleman that owned potentially one of those. Um, And the reason he got it is so that he could do tours with that group. Is Storyteller looking at possibly doing, if I have a Storyteller or there's Storyteller clubs that are groups that are doing tours or off-road excursions and trips um not you know current, I mean? as a group or not current. like curated tours hmm? are you talking about like curated tours like like sort of a guided type deal john or is that what you're talking about well to, to say if you're in the uh, ghost club with the Sig group you know you get a, you, they all get together and fly their Sig somewhere and tour or the ferrari gt you know 62 250 gto guys do that Right. Is there something that, you know, is there a storyteller group that I can, I'm in an exclusive club when I buy one of yours that 
either storytellers organizing or, um, you know, your owner oh, it would be t- 20 years ago. It would have been your owner's forum. Now, I guess it would be your Facebook page. Or- so we do, we do have a, we do have a Facebook page. It's uh, uh, mode lifers uh, and insiders. Um, you can look us up on Facebook. I think it's around 1600, 1600 people strong. Um, so we're, we're, you know, we're, we're watching that constantly. Um, we, we'll actually watch it every day in case there are any issues that come up. Um, one of our uh, one of our, our team members, Dan, uh, Dan the Storyteller Man, has uh, really, really taken care of so many people um, in terms of service. Uh, he is the guy that you, the go to guy if you ever have an issue. He's going to be on the other end of the line. He's just done an absolutely fantastic job of doing that. Um, but in terms of like tours and stuff like that, you know, that's there's been some loose discussions around that. Um, that's definitely something that I think I think everyone would love to do, uh, love to be a part of. Um, and I'm hoping that, that maybe once things settle down a little bit, you know, things kind of return to somewhat a little bit nor- more normalcy, that that would definitely be a, an option. I'd, I'd love to do it. Honestly, I've got a, I've got a 1986 uh, G-Wagon. Uh, it's a W460 300GB that uh, I would love to take out and meet some of the people that have, that have been a part, you know, become a part of the storyteller family. You know, maybe that's somewhere out west really get to meet everybody and see the regs and what they've done. Honestly, I got to say like our, our owner's group has been really, really awesome just about, and it's, it's awesome for us because we get to see all the cool stuff that what these, what these owners have done with them. Everyone's solving their own issues in their own certain ways. And by issues, I mean like what they're really passionate about. You know, we've got a, a, an owner that she has uh, actually outfitted it for her own personal business. I think she's doing like some baking and coffee and stuff uh, out of her storyteller. That's cool. You know, a lot of dog owners, everyone seems to love our Groove Lounge, which is our seat and seeing the dogs on that. But yeah, that's that's our Facebook group. I would really, really like to, to see us host an event. You know, I'd love for Jeffrey's Express this multiple times. We call it the Intergalactic Headquarters that we'd love to have like a, a homecoming party so we could, we could have everybody there. And hopefully once uh, things get back to normal, we can make that happen. I'm going to wrap this up and... We're probably not going to talk about Zambonis like we normally do at the end of every show. I doubt you if there's an ice edition of, you of, the, just did. of the Storyland Overland. <laughs> Got to remember Derek every week. You know, thank you, Brent, for being here tonight, talking about this and talking about the hobby. It's you know it's something that, like I said, fans kind of fascinate me for some reason. And John's been talking recently about getting one. I oh, it's coming. <laughs> It's, it's coming. I don't know if he's going to trade his little Toyota for it, but. Yep, it's coming. We're going to keep the Alpha. The Toyota's going to find a new home. I just want to say thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been an absolute blast talking with you guys. You guys are awesome. Y'all are awesome people to talk to. It's just been a real, real, real pleasure of mine. I really have enjoyed it. So thank you. Thank you. Well, we're probably going to come down and visit you at some point, and I'm going to reach out to your boss for my other podcast. and. Cool. Uh, see what we can do and you know maybe we'll come down and shoot a little bit of video and yeah. uh, put that on our our social media and such again thank you for your time tonight uh sorry we started a little bit late and maybe kept you up a little bit late but um again we appreciate it and i look forward to meeting you in person uh one of these days yeah i don't know if you guys are ever out at magic city the octane um you'll see the g or you'll see one of our vans um yeah i definitely need to get back out to that Say we make it out every now and then, but Saturdays are Saturdays. Saturdays, I got you. Well, we'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you guys so much. Have a good night. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. 
Thank you for listening, and remember to look us up at nodragongloves.com. There you can find back episodes, links to products we recommend, and links to all of our social media. Be sure to tell a friend about us. No Dragon Gloves is edited and produced by J. Lewis Productions.